This is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E. G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I'm Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm your host, Luke Allen, joined as always with my co-host, Robert E. G. Black. Hello. And with our special guest for this week, Helen Austin. Hello. So today we're looking at minute 60 of About Time, as well as our bonus minute later on. And I've already forgotten what minute that was, so that's all the more (laughs) excitement for both you, the listener, and me, myself, as I become even more unprepared. From now on, we just call it the surprise minute, because we don't know. Yeah. (laughs) And even for me, seeing as I haven't seen the film, I definitely need more context for that minute. Okay. I'm excited to find out which one I sent you, to be honest. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I can't even remember if I put the number of the minute in your title. Did I, did I just call the file like bonus minute Helen yep. or something? Bonus <laughs> minute in caps. Helen in brackets. You Helen. can describe it to us and we'll figure it out. Yeah. Since sending that one, cause for a while I didn't put bonus minute in the title at all. And then I realized that guests were getting a bit confused as to like what was happening. So I put bonus minute in the title on yours. And I think the, the person, I sent the next lot on to, so whoever we've got on next week, I started actually putting the number in there because I realised I might need to know sometimes, especially if we do one of the scenes in the dark. So, Before we get to talking about the content, I would just like to announce this restaurant is not Nobu, just saying, which was featured in Notting Hill. <laughs> not that I'm still looking up what restaurant this is <laughs> or anything. <laughs> Although interesting thing about Notting Hill, in case we haven't mentioned it before, was the location scout went all around like Notting Hill or London or wherever to find the place for the for the outside of the house and came back to Richard Curtis with one picture of the of the famous blue door. Richard Curtis said, Are you kidding? That is my house. What? And so the front the front door in Notting Hill is Richard Curtis's front door. That's there we funny. go. There's there, there's a there's our fun fact for a film that we're not talking about this week. Uh, I assume it's not the place they're staying now, otherwise I'm sure Robert would find a way of tracking down where Richard Curtis and Anna Freud live. If it was used in Notting Hill, then I could find it anyway. So yeah, when we go into minute 60, Charlotte turns to Tim and says, you know, I'm starting to think we slightly wasted that summer holiday. If we could travel back in time, maybe I wouldn't have said no. I'm staying around the corner, can you walk me home? So actually, yeah, I I like the fact that we don't hear Tim during that exchange until he responds to this. It's nice. And what, 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 do, what do you guys think of Charlotte in this minute? I think she knows he's going to. Whether or not that actually happens, it's she thinks that he's going to. You know, there's no awkwardness about her. She knows exactly what she wants. And yeah. she kind of says it in a way that implies that she thinks he's going to do it. Mm. You know, just like, oh, it's you know, if this had happened... Maybe you should walk me home. It's very confident. It's like very confident. She's she's literally finished eating the moment she asks him to walk him home. Which I mean, once again, I've not been in a situation like this to have a you know a proper opinion on it. But I, that that seems odd that there wasn't any you know fumbling around first, you know, grabbing grabbing your coat, sorting out the bill, all of that, and then mm. you know, is there any chance you could walk me home? It was the literally all right. Now that's over. Let's move on to the next thing. And literally the seconds, like one or two seconds after she finishes talking, when she's kind of in this lift, she's got a smirk on her face. 
She is smiling. She's smirking. She knows exactly what she's doing. And it's not a bad thing at all. I'm not saying it in a bad way. If anything, it's it's a confidence that's admired. I think it's brilliant. I mean, it's it's something which I feel like I don't mind in her character, but it could in a different character, it could have been quite odd and unlikable. Yeah, definitely. But it sort of makes her come across as quite sweet and naive mm. in these, which is sort of quite interesting. Or at least that's the impression I get knowing Tim and Mary from the rest of the film. So yeah, so then Tim just sort of responds with, yeah. I mean, actually, Robert, I haven't even had your response. Like, what what, what do you get of, of Charlotte in this? It, yes. she She's definitely confident and it, in charge of the situation, but there's a certain... Uh, she's nice about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, she's... It's not arrogance. She's like... Would you like, like, would you walk me home to where I'm staying? She knows he's gonna do it. The way she looks, the kind of facial expressions she has when she actually asks him to walk her home, it does come across so genuine of just, would, would you mind kind of, I don't know, there's a sweetness to it. Mm -hmm. Which implies, I mean, I don't know anything about Mary. She's not in any of the minutes that I've seen, but even if you're with someone else, if someone just wants you, if a, if they want you to walk them home, that's that's a different thing. They're not necessarily saying, do you want to come back to my place? They're saying, Would you, you know, the way that she's wording it and the way that she looks, it's not, she looks as if she's genuinely asking him, like, would you? Yeah. Although the I subtext is He shakes there. his head. He says, yeah, but he's shaking his head no. Yeah. He answers her. Yeah, I think that works well because, like, I think maybe Tim is reading in, is reading into this moment really. Like, he, he, he knows what he... Well, the last time he walked someone home, it ended with them yeah. hooking up, so yeah. Yeah, and from this, I don't know anything else about their interactions, but she doesn't, from what I can tell, she doesn't know that Mary is a person in his life. No. She has no reason to be kind of, there's no underlying I'm trying to do anything, you know, she's, she's fine with what she's doing and she's, she's just asked him if he would mind walking her home and she, she just looks like she's really enjoying his company. Yeah. And I get the impression from the way she like said last minute, she didn't think of him existing outside of Cornwall and she says she's staying around the corner. Maybe it's the way the British person would say it, but I get the impression she doesn't live in London. Oh, so maybe yeah. she's not a big city girl yet. And so she is still sweet. No, I, I got that possibly. Yeah, that she's, or at least she's, she's new down there. She's not really sure as to what's happening. It feels temporary to her. And, and the interior of the place looks more like a hotel than an apartment mm. building. That's what I thought about it. So I, I, I thought it looked, I mean, I haven't been to many apartment buildings or hotels, but it looked like, it looked more posh than most yeah. apartment buildings. Mm. Like, what I got from it is that it looks like She's, she has, she's not trying anything to be, to be mean or anything. She's just genuinely interested. She's genuinely enjoying his company. She asks very genuinely and then she's kind of smiling as if to say, I'm really enjoying the way this is going. Like when she's in the lift and she's got that smirk on her face, it's not in a, a bad way. It's in a, things are going well. I'm enjoying having this guy here and I've managed to get him kind of to walk me home, so at least he was interested enough to bring me home, whether or not that was in a relationship way, in a friendship way, 
it showed that he wasn't just bored at dinner and wanted to get the hell out of there. Yeah, I think the the weird thing for me is that even if it's an apartment or a hotel, is that he goes as far to her room door. Yeah. 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 Like he doesn't just leave her at the at the front and you know, because I feel like the idea of walk me home is yes, partially to talk, but it's almost it's late at night, you know, there's there's more safety in being a couple. Yeah. You know, than being someone on your own. But to go so, inside the building, I think that's part of why she kind of was still assumes, confident at the yeah. door because he went all that way. I think part of Tim would have would or possibly does want to sleep with her at this point. But he kind of wakes up and goes, hang on, I've got a wonderful girlfriend at home at the moment. <laughs> what what on earth am I doing? She's a fond memory, I think, to him. Yeah, and he kind of he kind of realizes at this point that she should stay a fond memory. Yeah, if he goes inside rather her, than a that bad mistake. Gone. Yeah. And it's not an innocent memory after that either. <laughs> it's not a no. a sweet what could have been. It's suddenly what was and probably didn't work out. See, and that's what I was saying last time is how I remembered this movie is I felt like he went into her room and then goes back to Mary, like he reverses it even with time travel, and then I'm like, "Oh, good, he doesn't do that." <laughs> I think the uncomfort that we get from this and the guilt that we feel from Tim is like he might as well have done. Like right, the fact that he that. even hesitated, the felt that he even hesitated it for a moment makes us feel as though he sort of cheated on Mary. Yeah. Actually, as a complete slide of tangent, I've suddenly remembered a note I forgot to say on the day when they filmed the scene in the lift with Margot Robbie was the day that she announced to Richard Curtis that the next person she was working with was Scorsese. And so uh-huh. he joked that he tried to be more artsy on that day. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I sort of wonder what that would feel like to, to be a director working with someone and then to hear that straight after your film they're doing like what is instantly going to be a majorly successful film. Mm. I feel like the, the, the part of you is glad that would be glad that that person is doing so well but also kind of worried that your film would get slid right under. <laughs> mm. Maybe a little hopeful that it would push yours up too if the other one does well. I feel like overall, as a film about time, kind of got slid right under. Right under the car. Although, weirdly, in the past like couple of days, I've seen About Time mentioned several times on social media, and it was weird. Like, I follow like, a film scenes page on Instagram, and they randomly posted a scene from About Time. And then, like, a friend of mine had shared someone else's list of their top 10 favorite films and it was all like your typical stuff like the godfather and things like that and then like about time was on there so it was a so it was nice to have to to see that there are still people out there appreciating it but i feel like i don't know i can't figure out whether wolf of wall street helped or hindered about time the cover of a of about time is something that i have seen so many times just i've i've never it's something that I appreciated that a lot of people liked, but I never myself had gotten round to watching it. No, that makes sense. I think there are definitely a few DVDs and like po- which I've tend to think of like charity shop DVDs, mm. like th- those few mm. that you seem to see in every shop you go into. The ones that people feel are, if they if they themselves were done with the DVD for whatever reason, you know. Is it worth giving to a charity that other people will actually be interested enough? And, you know, it kind of shows it's timeless if people are still buying it and still thinking people will buy it. 
I'm gonna say I I I I don't ever see a problem with like charity shop DVDs anyway. But there are yeah, because I mean, but as a very before lockdown, obviously a very very regular charity shopper, there were certain films which seem to be in every charity shop. I'm a big um, charity shop fan. <laughs> I mean, it, I guess the the comparison would be as to how different it is between where I am and where you are and. Robert, what you have in your thrift stores and oh, things. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, um, but I mean, like, especially here, it feels like About a Boy and Bridget Jones are two films I tend to always see in charity shops. Mm-hmm. Amelie tends to be in there quite often. And then About Time's sort of semi regular. The Duchess, Time Traveler's Wife, like, they're just films which, like, you know are good films, but just seem to be the ones that are always in every charity shop. Until I find. You're after buying a copy, then and then you suddenly can't it's not in any find of them. it anywhere. Yeah, and then as soon as you bought a copy, it's everywhere again, often cheaper. I mean, Robert, do you go into many thrift stores in the states? Like, do you uh, not looking it... for movies now? Okay, I generally they're like just the buy only... online. It's faster, yeah, I guess. they're easier, not faster. Mm. Well, I used to. I've probably said this before. I used to, I used to volunteer in a charity shop for about a year. It was only like a couple of hours a week. But, like, I was in charge of the DVDs there, so I often saw those that would come in really regularly. And I seemed to be, I realised before I was in that shop and after I was in that shop that I was the only person who actually really cared about what was brought out and what wasn't. Like, they'll, they'll, when they're people who don't really know that much about DVDs, they'd put out ones that are, like, different region codes, or they'd put out ones which are, like, clearly copies. Or even when you've got, several others in the back have multiple of the same film on the shelf like that's not just put a different film out <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's, that's my, my own issue with charity shop but incidentally I am really missing charity shops right now mm. <laughs> so she then carried I mean I realised she didn't read the rest of the dialogue she's just yeah yeah of course yeah and then she says at the door well here we are and then she says it's a lot nicer inside and you can still sense Tim's sort of discomfort in when he says I'm sure it is uh-huh. and then include the minute with her saying so but yeah I said I, I like the fact that he doesn't I think I think it'd be hard for the audience to relate and connect with Tim if he actually went any further with Charlotte yeah so it's a I, I'm surprised that they got away with him getting this far with her I'm trying to think what would have been worse having this or if they'd kissed like I don't know yeah, from the minutes that I've seen, I don't know anything about Mary. She could have been, she could have been the love interest the whole time. For, for as much as I knew, she could have been. That could have been the person that he was meant to be with in the film. I think there are certain parts that hint to that not being true. But the fact that she's not hateable, that she's really kind of nice and she is quite sweet. That's not to say that she's not necessarily like a flawed character or anything like that, but she could have been the lead, for all I knew from what I've seen. And Margot Robbie is sort of so great in these minutes that I, I would love to see Margot Robbie do a romantic comedy. Like, I know that now she's someone who's done, you know, major deep acting roles with Scorsese and with Tarantino that it see it would feel like a step down. But I feel like she would be great in a romantic comedy and like yeah. in a proper lead role. I'm just trying to think, were there, are there any other people who've done such major roles and still done romantic comedy? I mean, I guess Anne Hathaway to an extent. I I Meryl Streep? It's Meryl weird, Street, I, yeah. I think but I she have, does like, everything. a different 
I quite like the idea as an actor of just doing projects that interest me, regardless of kind of what level they're seen as necessarily. I think if you really enjoy a project, you can do that project. And, so, until you get the nice Tarantino role and forget that Luke even exists. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's only one more Tarantino film, so you'd better get him fast. <laughs> do you, Robert, do you think he's going to stick to that? Is, is the next question. Do you think Tarantino will so. truly do the 10? I've, I'm on record as hating that he put a number on it in the first place, and I hope so. And I hope he goes away. Oh, okay. I didn't realise that. Actually, did I? I feel like I might have listened to your... What was the podcast where you did that on? I can't remember. That podcast doesn't exist. <laughs> doesn't it? Okay, sure. Why not? <laughs> no, it, it really does. It, it, it's a podcast I kind of abandoned. Oh, well, I guess you kind of... It kind of moulded into Cock and Bull Minute, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you haven't done an episode since August. Huh. No. How did I not realise that? Right, but yeah, I mean... Yeah, so I mean, I guess, Helen, to look at sort of your, your actress perspective is like, so, so could you imagine, I mean, obviously it's, it's a weird thing to, to imagine, but like, say you were a big major actress who'd done loads of major films and then say a TV series that seemed interested wanted you to pop on and do like a guest spot. Is that the sort of thing you'd be like, yeah, sure? So I think a way of kind of explaining it, I mean, I don't know how other pe- how big other people took this film to be, but Take Daniel Radcliffe and how he did, he was the lead. He was Harry Potter in Harry Potter. Yeah. Huge. But then he went and did Swiss Army Man. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> exactly. It's such I haven't seen an, it, I need to. Okay, so it's a, a really, really interesting plot. It's such a unique film, I found. In terms of the soundtrack, in terms of the plot, in terms of everything, it's such a unique film. And it wasn't a major block. I mean, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't remember it being released when I watched it. I couldn't quite remember that, but. Oh yes, I've seen, I've definitely seen the trailer for it. Yeah, it just, it didn't feel like it was a, a major, major, major film release or anything. I'm pretty sure it was kind of known to be a bit of an independent. But he did it because I remember watching an interview and they're basically saying how they were just really interested in, you know, the directors kind of pitched it to them and they, they were really interested in it. And so they did it. So I don't think it's always about, I don't think it's always about the levels. It's about the content. I have so much more respect for those actors who do that, who you, you can tell only do a project that they're really passionate about. Mm. And for context, in case someone is vaguely familiar with the film, he's the dead body. Yeah. <laughs> he plays a dead body. So, um, the other actor who does all the, yeah. the talking and everything else. <laughs> and, and they do, yeah. it's, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite films for a different way, like just the artisticness of it. I, I remember hearing an in- interview. They said that they wanted to create a film where the first fart made you laugh and the last fart made you cry. And I was like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> that is, what and does that did. even mean? And they did. It, and, you know, he, he did that to go from, that might have been a role that so many actors would have found embarrassing or humiliating, but he nailed it. I mean, I know you say he doesn't talk, but his acting says it all. Like he's, yes. it's a really good film. It's really interesting. 
anyway, the whole point of it was to say that if you're an actor, you can you can explore different types. It depends if you prefer a particular genre, but definitely, I think I think it'd be great. She'd do really well in a in another romantic, being the lead in a rom com. I think it would definitely have to depend on the rom-com he was writing like i know you know, i'd know with a richard curtis film as we see in this that she'd do great mm. i'd imagine other romantic comedies especially male written romantic comedies that aren't richard curtis of, often there is the whole issue with like you know the bechdel test and the the this sort of sexism and odd morals that can be presented in romantic comedies so knowing the the strong female roles that margot robbie's gone for it would be quite odd to suddenly be mm. the girlfriend but I think if it was a good enough writer and it gave her character enough depth, I think it'd be brilliant to to see someone who's done and explored so much great acting stuff to just do something like that that seems, you know, fun and easy viewing. I'm trying to think. There's definitely an actor or an actress that I was like keeping an eye, eye on watching their stuff and seeing, oh, they actually only do stuff that they definitely want to do. And I can't think who it is. But I think obviously it... It's it's a it'll take a while for any actor or actress I'd imagine to get to a position where they can pick and yeah. choose that much. Yeah. But to be in that position where they aren't going, okay, well this film's offering more money than that one. Well, there is always a level of I mean, there's not always the point of being able to always have something in the mix that is exactly everything you love, but at the same time, it's important to say no to things that you just fundamentally believe is not right. You know, there's definitely been projects that I've kind of looked at before where I've just completely disagreed with. So, yeah, saying no to projects, but, yeah, I, I think always stay, stay true to yourself. So, bonus minute. What was the bonus minute we sent you? Uh, as I can't remember really saying, what, 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 what happens in the minute? Was it one of the other scenes with Margot Robbie or um tennis? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Th- that was the one I thought I'd sent over. That's good. It's like minute um, 9 or something like that. 10. Yeah, I think so. I'll I'll go and check. It's it's it, yeah, cuz I, I I wanted to sort of express the 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 early relationship between Tim and Charlotte. I mean, what 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 are your overall views on this minute? Cuz I don't tend to go as in depth on Helen, what were you, what were your impressions sort of from Okay. from this <laughs> so I don't really have any context I tried to get context before this to try and understand better what that minute was about you know for example later on there's an interaction where someone doesn't know where the other per- who the other person is and I didn't quite understand that as much because I didn't really I don't really know who those characters are but um one of my favorite parts is just the fact that he was filmed getting repeatedly hit with a ball. Mm. Like, what did they say? Just, okay, bend over while we hit you repeatedly with a tennis ball. Yeah. <laughs> like, was it a pl- was it a pro player? Or an amateur who was doing it? Like, how long did he have to stand there waiting and just getting hit with balls until they had <laughs> the right shot? And then that's immediately followed by this, like, cue the montage... And I think kind of now having heard what you said earlier about how at the start of the film it seemed like they were sexualizing her and then later on mm-hmm. you see more about her. Um, you know, as you said, they're, they're focusing on her face or 
So, I don't know, I guess that could have been maybe what you meant about the whole thing, because obviously in the montage, she's made to come across that way. I mean, you get Tim's narration in Minute 13 as well. So you, you, I mean, I, I tend to look at this as Tim is telling us the story. He's yes. like an unreliable narrator. So at this point, the only memories he's got of Charlotte at that period in time is she was the girl that he couldn't stop looking at, yeah, pretty much. exactly. And that's why it kind of feels, because it's coming from his point of view, Um, it's coming simply from, you don't know how long this guy has had a crush on this girl, but that's how it's definitely coming across. Like, this is the person that he can't stop thinking about. This is the person he can't mm. stop looking at. And I, I, I do really like Tim's narration here. I was wrong. Charlie just made us both look like idiots. How the hell are you meant to concentrate on your game? How are you meant to live your life with this sort of shit going down? It never got better until suddenly it was almost too late. And I mean, yeah, I think it's just... His his narration, it gives that brilliant personal tone to it. Like, like narration, I think we've said before, Robert, has been so misused in so many films where it's just at the start yeah. and just at the end. Or it's in there for no reason whatsoever. And yet, in about time, it allowed, because the only person, other than Tim, for the most the majority of the film that knows he can travel in time, is his dad, and he's not with his dad for a lot of the film. We kind of need this to have that mm -hmm. connection with Tim, and to know what he's thinking, what, he's what his thinking, story yeah. is. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, Helen, what's your view overall of narration in, in films, really? Um, that's a really hard question, because I, I feel like it's very, um, it depends on the context and the, the style of the film, really. Some films use it the whole way through and it works really... Bridget Jones, so much narration in that. But the whole point is it's called... The premise Bridget's had to be. Yeah, yeah, the whole idea is that it's Bridget Jones's diary. So, of course, that was always meant to be that way. And I, I thought that was done, like, really well, the way that you just... You could feel exactly how... What she was feeling, the way that she'd just be like, Oh. My. God. I've just embarrassed myself again. But, um, yeah, I think it can work really well. Just, it has to be done correctly. I think it's, it's up to the director and it can be used to really enhance a film or it could completely ruin it. And I think Bridget Jones as well, like, just thinking about that, is another example of using actors who aren't British to play really, really British characters. <laughs> like, I, I had no idea. Uh, until like a while after seeing Bridget Jones, that Renee Zellweger isn't British. Nope. Like she, and, and, and as Donal being Irish in this is, and obviously Margot Robbie being Australian. Like he just seems to cast a lot of people who aren't British mm. to either play British people or he always seems to have the American. Like most of his rom romantic comedies seem to be the British guy and the American. Yeah, there are exceptions, obviously. Well, going but back, you got. Go, yeah, going sorry. back to like the first minute we we kind of did today, I know that uh, well uh, on Monday, it's kind of the way that Marco Robbie's like Tim, oh how fabulous to see you. That was like incredible. That was the point where I was like, oh, is that too British? Um, but then I thought about it and I was like, <laughs> no, okay, yeah, I, yeah, I could hear some of my more London-based friends saying that. Yeah, it, it was very oh how fabulous to see you. I'd imagine it works well as, I mean, Robert, you could answer this more, as a British film overseas. Like, it's like, these are British people. Yeah. This is how it goes. Even that, it's it's less about her accent and more about she's clearly being 
way too polite and like outgoing and yeah. she says it is. She's overplaying. I mean if um have either of you guys seen Goodbye Christopher Robin? <gasps> yeah. Wait. Goodbye Christopher Robin? Yes. That's the one that was the story of A.A. Milne, rather than the one that was Ewan McGregor. Maybe. I can't think off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, there were two that came out very close to each other. So Goodbye Christopher Robin was like the biography of A.A. Milne and how Winnie the Pooh came about. And then Christopher Robin was the story of him seeing Christopher Robin again and Ewan McGregor playing mm. adult Christopher Robin. But basically, Goodbye Christopher Robin, A.A. Milne is played by Donald Gleeson and his wife is played by Margot Robbie. And... It's, it's, I, I need to rewatch it again because it's, it's just such brilliant seeing that pairing again, and it works so well. In that. And once again, they're both playing British people, incredibly like they, they are playing icons of British literature, and it's an Irish man and an Australian. <laughs> so I think it's it's credit to both of them that their accent work is great. Like Margot Robbie as an Australian, I mean, I, I'm I'm not American, but I feel like her American accents are really good from what what I've seen that she's in where she's American. Yeah. So I think she's she's definitely really flexible with the accents. I mean, ha, 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 Helen, how do you as an actress find accents, like, doing them? Is the next question. <laughs> it is definitely challenging, but it depends on the style of film a bit more. I feel like if you're going to, if you're going to copy an accent, you've got to do it right. I mean, sometimes in comedic films, the idea is it's meant to be not the best of accents. But I think if you're going to be in a film like this, you need to practice that accent. You've got to get it right. You can't, you can't half-heartedly do it. You don't, you don't want to offend people. You also don't, you, you, you can make, if it's meant to be an emotional film, you will pull people right out of that if they sound really ingenuine. So I always feel like it's something you should work hard on. And again, in, in comedic films, it can be, it can be an, a bit easier when it's a bit obscure of obscure foreign accent number two. When it's when <laughs> it's meant to be a really comedic part. For example, with with the American accent, I would not tell anyone that I was incredibly good at it, and I, I especially didn't before I went to America. And then when I went there, I spent a lot of time trying to learn that accent, and I'm still trying to master it because I don't want to make you know you want it to come across really genuine so i always think it's something that you should put a lot of work into and i guess that would sort of be the difference between like doing theater and doing film is like if you were in doing a bit of theater in england and you had to play an american character you could probably be a bit mm. more lenient on the accent than if you were doing like a film where it could be viewed by anyone i feel like there's different levels there is the level of whether or not people from your country believe that you sound American. And then there's the second level of, do Americans think you sound American? Because the amount of times where I've thought my friend does a really good accent, and then I hear someone from that country say, no, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. And so if you want that film to be watchable by people of all different backgrounds, you've got to get it right. I mean, do do you list any accents on like backstage and Mandy and things like that, or do you? If I say yes, will you make me do the accent? Because I refuse. (laughs) 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 I do now say that I have spent time learning the American accent because I spent, I did, I I spent a lot of time doing it, and you know, it's something that if I had a role which required it, 
I would definitely show the director very quickly what it is because I don't want them to cast me and then later change their mind because of the accent. And then I would just day and night carry on working on it, really, really nail that, nail that. Because it's something that if you don't practice, it does go away. You've got to keep on top of it. Because I'm just looking at your backstage now and it's <laughs> it's changed. It's I mean, just the list of different things that you've got listed since when I cast you in Unstable, it's it's cool. Yeah, it's something that, um, again, because I, well, still technically for a few more weeks, I'm I'm still in, in education. And so... You were in the States when I first messaged you as well. <laughs> yeah, I was. But I, I'm still in education for something else. And it's been something that I've been trying to balance as much as possible to get to get roles and everything. And I'm hoping that when I leave education, that's something that can take off a lot more. I can say yes to a lot more things and I can spend more time kind of refining my craft. Hmm. I mean, ha- and have you have you found that you you're coming across the same people now you're in the industry? Because obviously we, I, I know that we had the whole conversation about um, sex education when we were doing Unstable, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, have you noticed stuff like that where you're coming across a lot of a lot of similar people? Yeah. So I have come across Alex multiple times now for different things. And I think he genuinely is everywhere. To be honest, I think a... like when I was doing Hood, I like I didn't know he was involved in that. Yeah, until, that surprised like, me. A week before. Um, I think a big part of it is where you find your role. And people you work with, if you're all kind of finding things, at least to begin with, if you're all looking in the same pages, you will start to get to know each other. But then you'll go on to work with a director who, because of the circles you end up seeing, you end up working with similar directors. And obviously you, Luke, have got me involved in more than just that one project. I thought that was just a one project, unstable. But that's become... You know, you've become quite a big part of... You've helped my career out a lot just with the different things that I've got involved in and the different people you've introduced me to. And I think that's... When people say social networking is important, it's very important. Mm. And I think it it is definitely great, as we said before, with the number... with, With the amount of bad publicity that seems to come with... So, you know, with doing no pay projects or mm. doing student films and things like that, which is basically my concern with as soon as I'm in college, I feel like it, it goes from short film, independent short film to student film. And I feel like that can sound like a step down, even if the quality is a step up, if that makes sense. Well, it's kind of your choice what you kind of label it as. You can be a student and still yeah. do independent films. I, think... I get that. Uh, yeah, I, th- I feel like just. The, the the representation and the idea of student films is, I don't know, I think it's a lot more negative than it should be. Everyone's got to start somewhere. I mean, in a way, it kind of shows you who you're working with. You're, you're working with people who don't share that opinion because they said yes to the, the casting they applied. They don't share that opinion. And yeah. you end up working with people who end up, are quite like-minded because they said yes to something you created. Not just said yes, but yes as in they went ahead and applied. But it also shows quite a lot about not being... If you're if you're a drama queen and you're very, very difficult... Okay, I hate using that saying, but if you're very difficult to work with, 
obviously, as I said, you've helped me out quite a lot because ever since we've still worked together. Mm. Um, we're, we still yeah. work together. Yeah, I've completely lost my train of thought. But obviously that would have been something that we wouldn't have been able to do if we didn't get along, if someone just kind of stropped around on set the whole time. Yeah, and I mean, the, the fact that you, you know, you offered to come back on your birthday, you know, <laughs> things like that, like, you, you, you show that you are keen on the project. I spent my 21st birthday filming out, um, filming yeah. and stable. It was great fun. And that, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Like, it was just, to know that I was working with people who cared about what was being made, like, I think that was the issue with the first few films I'd done. Sorry, Robert, for this tangent. Um, for the, for the first few films I'd done, just working with friends who hadn't had much acting experience was, it was just a quick thing for them to do before they did the next thing. There was a rush with all of them, mm. which I thought I would get when working with, I don't know the right phrase, when working with proper actors, you know, <laughs> which is, I didn't, like, I was expecting that, like, you and Alex and all the people would sort of think, oh, it's just, oh, just get this job over and done with and, so to actually work with people who I could see put so much care and passion into it, and all of you who I've stayed in touch with since, like, you know, it's mm. it's great to know that actually, yeah, these are people who don't just consider each job another job. They put the, the thought and effort into the project, and I think, obviously, part of it is to prove your, your own performance, but also it's it's so nice as a director to know that you put so much care into what is a passion project. Yeah. myself like it's just great and i mean e even when like you you recorded your monologue in unstable for example like you know you we we did a take of it and you'd ever so slightly messed the words up and you wanted to go again like i i would have gone at that and been like sure we'll go with that but y you wanted to make sure that you had the best output and i think that's great what, what where, where did this conversation start <laughs> um margot robbie's career yeah, probably. <laughs> well, we've been talking for a while. <laughs> so we tend to have a question that we ask on Fridays, which is if you could go back in time to any moment in your own life and either relive or change something, what moment in your life would you choose? I think I, I've been thinking about this question a lot. And because I, the main reason being because at first I thought kind of it was something I had to go back and change. And I couldn't really think of much or anything really but then kind of when I realized it could be something that I just want to relive got so many <laughs> so many moments I would relive so many I think one that's seeing as we're talking about kind of acting and everything like that a, a good one would be the audio gets a little mangled here but clearly Helen is referring to the previously mentioned trip to New York of different Different continent. Okay. It was my first time away. I'd also, my, my mum had came with me for the first week because she, she wanted to go and see New York and she wanted to see her friend who I was staying with. But except for that week, I was there for a few months and I was, I did that on my own. That was my own thing that I'd arranged. I'd done all the applications. I did everything and this was my thing that I wanted to do for myself. And it would be my first day there at this school where I was studying something that I was really excited to learn. It was an acting school that I was just so passionate about it and I could not wait to learn. I could not wait to 
to find out more. And I just remember that excitement of being sat in that class. I'd go back and I would do that again because it was just, it was such an amazing feeling knowing that I was going somewhere with my career. Like I was actually putting in the effort to, to do something with it and to learn more. So, so was it almost like a moment for you, I guess, where you, you sort of enjoy it and you go, this could be what I do for a living? Mm. Well, it was, this particular thing was where I'd already decided that it was something I enjoyed. And this school has a book, a book that they recommend you read before you go. And when I started this book, I had one opinion of, right, well, I want to know more about this school because I think I want to go there and I think I want to study. And by the end of the book, I was like, I need to know more about this craft. I need to know more about this technique. And I was, I loved it. And then when I went into this class, the book was written in such a way where it was written in the classroom about the work done in the classroom and walking in and being like, this is the place. This is the place where that happened. This is the place where people come to, to learn. And it just, that must be wonderful. Incredible. Wow, I get, I, I definitely get why you go back to that. Like, yeah, that, that, that just sounds, yeah, brilliant to sort of, you know, to invest so much time into the book mm. and then sort of, it yeah. Was, it, it was that I thought I really wanted to learn about acting in general and then I did, but this book taught me about a particular technique and I thought, yeah, that technique will be good. And I read it and I went, I need to know more. I just need to. That, I, th- that is a really, really good answer. <laughs> Like, I feel like every time someone gives a such a good answer as that, it makes me think, I need to rethink my <laughs> answers. <laughs> like, um, who else have we had on who's given, like, good answers? Like, Simon Fisher-Becker Simon's, did a good yeah. answer. Yeah. But then he decided not to, didn't he? Because he was like he wouldn't have gotten the Doctor Who audition. Right. Mm. Um, I feel like Johan gave us a good one, but I can't remember what Johan's was. Yeah, Johan had a good saying, one. I just remember saying it was good. I'll find that in, in post and be interested by that all over again. So, Helen, where can our listeners find you on social media? Okay, you can find me on Instagram at Helen underscore May underscore Austin, where May is spelt M-A-E. And I've got that down now. That's my Instagram handle, everyone. <laughs> Please follow me. If you, have any, if you have any projects yourself that you're working on or interested in, just tell me about it. I'd love to know. I love hearing about oh, that no, I guess they can. I guess they can find your Mandy and your backstage oh, yeah. and... Your YouTube channel and all that. Oh, as well. there's there's many actually. If I were to go into all of them, <laughs> all of the different <laughs> ways, because Robert, where can my listeners find you on social media? Robert E.G. Black on social media. Lemmingdrops.com for links. The listeners can find me on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero on Instagram at the ginger Luke on Facebook at Luke Allen Film. They can find everything that I do: podcast, radio appearances, newspaper articles, short films, anything I'm remotely involved in, or mentioned in somewhere is probably linked at lukeallen.co.uk I don't actually say in this segment they could email me at luke at lukeallen.co.uk if they just want to talk about anything really I guess you know email me for a chat and then uh, this podcast Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Two Men's About Time we've also got a Facebook group called The Cupboard where they can join and talk all things about time and all things to do with each episode all the tangents we've had anything really you know be nice to just see some of the listeners in there and some of the guests and it'd just be a, a nice place to, to have a chat with people. 
Today's goodbye, as always, is brought by this article. I didn't say the website. Actually, the website is pairedlife.com. Never heard of the website before, but it has a long list of goodbyes. Some of them good, some of them very, very strange. So um, we'll finish this episode, and next time, bring more cookies. I don't know who put together this list. It's just... The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions.